We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5 today. Uh, this is the last chapter of the book, so we're going to do a quick little uh, recap. Uh, chapter 5 is not very long, so I, I take advantage of uh, kind of doing a quick overview of what we've already looked at. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to uh, to get one out because I don't have all these verses. Hardly have any of them on the PowerPoint. Uh, Peter has a theme, and it keeps recurring throughout the whole book. And I, I think Second uh, uh, Peter kind of does the same thing, but it's just the it's just kind of a loop of what he's saying. It sounds like he's just kind of getting kind of redundancy. You know, he just keeps on repeating himself and going over. So we're going to look at a couple of these things. Uh, he begins in verse number four, reminding of the Christians of the of Christ, of the sacrifice that had to be made for them to be where they're at, for them to have a hope of eternal salvation with Him. An inheritance that does not fade away. Uh, at the time that Peter was writing this, uh, Nero was, he was persecuting the Christians. And I can't help but look at a lot of similarities of what we're facing today. Christianity is not a popular religion. If you look, now there are, I say that, let me uh, choose my words carefully. People claim to be Christians, and what they believe in does not necessarily line up with the Bible. They're more lenient, and the leniency is accepted. But whenever you look at God's will and what He would have us to be as Christians, it goes against what is accepted in society today. And that's one of the challenges that we're going to continue to face, and it's unfortunately it's probably going to keep getting worse. If you are truly going out into the world and letting your light shine and letting Christ's will shine through you, you will be persecuted. People will hate you. It might not be to your face. More than likely, it will be on some sort of social media outlet, more than likely. But truth of the matter is, you will not be accepted. Not even around here, I hate to say it. But it, it's, it's, it's getting worse. It's gotten a lot worse since I graduated high school. And that's, that's unfortunately, that's been quite a while ago. I can't remember when that was. But, you know, it, it's not getting any better. And I, I, I have, personally, I have a hard time with this because uh, it seems like you can't turn on TV without politics getting drug into things. And our country was founded on religious beliefs, on Christianity for the most part. And since the founding of the United States, since we won our independence, it seems like we've been gradually just kind of drifting away from that. And it seems like here in the past, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, it has continued to get worse and worse and worse. And so in my mind, I keep going back to those Christian morals that our country was founded on. And I, I think, you know, it, it should be like this throughout all the, all the United States, all the world, that these Christian values that our country was founded on should be in each and every American. But the truth of the matter is, not all Americans are Christians. So therefore, it doesn't, you're, I'm holding people to a standard that, you know, they live in this world, so they, they're worldly. They don't know any better. It's, 
on beating your child for something that they don't know is wrong. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And so, Peter is writing this letter to these Christians that are facing uh, Nero's rule. Uh, the, the portion of the world that this letter was written to, to these people south of the Black Sea, you know, it's, in, it's not necessarily in Rome's immediate vicinity of rule, but it's, it's like a province, I guess is what you would call it. And so they still see the implication in the rule of Rome stretching out and the laws that they have to follow. And Peter's encouraging them to stay faithful to Christ. No matter what you go through, stay faithful to Christ. Have that hope of, a, of, a, of heaven and don't take your eye off that mark. We're going to do a quick little overview of the, the first four uh, chapters, and then we'll get into chapter 5. Tells them to live holy. 1 Peter 1, 15-16. It says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. This word holy in the Strong's means to be blameless. To... Uh, to be morally blameless. And as, as we as Christians, I mean, the world is watching you. People watch you day in and day out. You know, they, they see the way you act. They see the way you talk. Are you being holy in your Christian life? Is your lot a, a lot reflecting Christ and what He would have us to be? Or are they seeing the lot that has a basket over the top of it? You know, every once in a while they see a little speck of light come out. It's, it's something that we have to put in our everyday lives. I hate to tell you this, people judge you. They size you up. Especially, he's, he's writing to these people as strangers. You know, what, what do you do when you first meet somebody? You size them up. You figure out what, what kind of person they are. Are they a good Christian moral person, or are they not? You know, do they have foul language or not? How do they conduct themselves? We size them up. People see you, and they size you up. They see how, what kind of person you are. And Peter's main, one of his main objections here in the beginning is, is to remind these Christians that you are a stranger in the land. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, the same from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Like I said before, the Christians... Today we have a bad rap. I mean, we're homophobic, we're sexist, we're racist. You know, unless you're a white male, you don't belong in, as a Christian. I mean, that's pretty much how the law of the world sees us. Don't give them that reason. There's a... I have, I have some friends that, that 
that will tell you they are a Christian until they're blue in the face, and then you turn around and look at stuff that they post on the internet about politics, and you know. I mean, there, there's, it, it's, it's awful. How we conduct ourselves is, is a lot. It means a lot. You know, we, we have to be that lot. You know, I, I, well, you just have days when you have a loss for words. Um, It seems like there's a lot of people that are looking for a reason not to become Christians. And that seems like the, you know, they don't, they don't want somebody telling them what to do, how they need to act. They, need, they, they want to have their weekends. You know, they don't want to have to go somewhere on Sunday. That's their day off. Are you telling me that I can't be a Christian if I don't go to church on Sunday and worship? Are you telling me that... that I have to do something. I have to be baptized in order to be a Christian. You know, pe- people take that and they don't, they don't take it as God's will, what He would have you to do. All they hear is what's coming out of your mouth and you're the one that's telling them that they need to do something. That's what we're faced with. We're not faced with people that, that honestly look at the truth and say, yes, you're right, that is, that is God's will. You are faced with people who who think it's, it's our idea and it's our beliefs that we have to be baptized. But it's not. Peter addresses them as citizens because the rulers are watching. Where does your citizenship lie? Where does your, your allegiance lie? What are you first? Are you first a Christian? And then an American, then a Republican or Democrat? Or are you first a Republican or Democrat, then an American, then maybe a Christian if you have time left? <laughs> I, know, I, I know several people that politics rule their lives. I mean, right now with everything going on, that's all they're wrapped up in. That's all they have time for. God comes first. He should be in the forefront of our mind. If we, if we want to have a chance of getting to heaven and having eternity with, with our Lord and Savior, He needs to be first in our life above all else. Peter reminds him of this citizenship because of what these Christians were going through. They were going through persecution. I mean, like I said before, Nero, Nero was a bad dude. That's just all there is to it. But the persecutions that you and I face today are, are different. You know, we're not getting stoned. We're not getting whipped. But people aren't going to like you. They're probably going to call you bad names. They're not going to accept you. Peter just tells them to deal with it. Keep God, keep Christ in the forefront of your mind. He addresses them as servants. 1 Peter 2, verses number 18. It says, Servants, be subjected to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. 
Masters, your employer, how do you act around them? How do you conduct yourself in your business? What does your boss, what does your coworker think of you? There's somebody always watching. Do you conduct yourself in an honorable manner? Taking care of business whenever you need to? Showing respect? Or do you slack off and be disrespectful? It goes on chapter 3, beginning there in uh, verses 1 through 7, talking about our spouses. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chastest conversation compelled with fear. Whose adorning let it be not, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair and the wearing of gold and putting on of the apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great prize. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do, do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to, the, to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Uh, I couldn't find uh, up-to-date statistics. Last time I checked, the divorce rate in the United States was somewhere around 50%, and I think it's actually higher now. People notice. People notice if, if you're getting along with your spouse. There was one, one Sunday that Brown and I were in the audience, and we didn't sit together. Five different people came up to me and said, what's going on? That's a good brother and sister in Christ. They see something wrong, they say, hey, now wait a second, why aren't you sitting with Bronwyn? It's like, why don't you sit down and we lean so, you know, I made excuses of what I did. There was nothing wrong, we just didn't sit together. And she's smiling because she can remember that too. People notice. People see the way you act around your spouse. They can tell if that relationship is working. Usually, a couple that's been married for 20, 30-something-odd years can say, hey, they're not, that's not jiving. They're, they're, not, they're not acting the way they should be. As a husband and wife, your spouse needs to be the first person that you turn to. They're going to be the ones that help you get to heaven because they're going to be the first one to notice that you're going astray or you're not growing like you should be. If nothing else, work on your marriage. Peter addresses his audience as a member of the body of Christ. Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, Love as brethren, be pitiful by courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but counter, 
contrary wise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. If we can't get along as brothers and sisters in Christ, why would anybody else want to be here? If we can't show love one towards another, one to another, speak kindly one to another, build each other up, lift each other up, help whenever one of us is struggling, they get enough of that out in the world. You know, I. In the world, you don't mind throwing somebody under the bus if it helps get you ahead. Look out for yourself. That's all that matters. That's the way the world sees it. You know, it's pretty cut and dry. You know, they, what's the point in helping somebody else so they're not going to return the favor? You know, I just look after myself, stay in my lane, everything will be fine. That's the way the world sees it. We have brothers and sisters in Christ and need to be there for one another. He goes on there in chapter 3 to talking about those that are wrongfully accused, verses 14 through 22. But and if, he, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ye ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. But it is better if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. We sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure wherein too even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the flesh, filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. If he first begins there in verse 14, is tell them to be happy. Don't fear. What is there to fear? What are you afraid of? I'm afraid of hell. You take... You take some people out of my life and hell would be a very, a very close reality. And that's the scary part. Because I, I see myself as someone that can, can easily go backwards. But in this world, other than, other than your 
spiritual end, what what is there to be afraid of? He tells them to be happy and don't don't be afraid. Tells them to tell others about the hope that lies within them. Verse 16, having a clear conscience. Have you ever not had a clear conscience? Have you ever done something that you shouldn't have? Get confronted with it? That clear conscience is worth a lot. It truly is. He's telling them here that don't give them a reason. Have your conscience clear with, with how you conduct yourself in an honest and truthful way. Verses 17 through 22. Remember Jesus and think of where He is. Next, we go into chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. It said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the, the fiery trials which is to try you, as though some strange things happen un, unto you. But rejoice in so much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory, of glory and of God resteth upon you, and their part, on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as members, as murderers, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing, as unto a faithful creator. Don't be surprised how it begins in verse number 12. The way the world is, it, it should not be a surprise that people hate you for your, for your faith, for believing in God, believing in Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says to rejoice. 14, to be happy. Fifteen, keep your conscience clear. Sixteen, glorify God. Nineteen, trust. Like I said, just a loop of how we should act whenever we're strangers, whenever we're persecuted, whenever we're amongst others, to keep the faith. Let's turn to chapter 5. Says the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am, who am an elder and the witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, take the oversight thereof. 
not by constraint, but willingly, not of filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Peter is speaking from experience. He's been there. He has the charge of being the elder. He begins by telling them to feed the flock. I don't know about sheep, but I'm going to assume it's pretty much the same as cattle. You have a herd of cattle, and, and most of you have looked after cattle at one point in time or another. What do you do if you see one that's, I don't know, 100 pounds lighter than all the rest of them? Kind of scrawny looking thing, looks like he had a bad mammy or something. You take them aside, and you force feed them, and help them pick up, help them to do better. That's our elder's job. We have good leadership in this congregation. We really do. I've seen, I've seen some really good leaders, and I've seen some terrible ones. Traits of a good leader. One, they look after those that they have the charge over. That's the first thing. Second, they don't ask them to do anything that they wouldn't do themselves. They lead by example. That's what our elders do. David told me not to talk about him, but I am just a little bit. And Pop, too. He's my father-in-law, so I'll take it easy on him. <laughs> Brother David will spoon-feed you until you start to grow. Or at least he will, he will try very, very hard. He wants to see you grow. They both do. That's their job, is to watch you grow to where you can better help the church and help the church grow. Spread the gospel. Be the lights. If you're not doing that, they will notice and they will call you out on it. Don't be offended whenever they do. Then you start letting pride get in the way. They're here to look over us. They're here to help us grow. They're here to help us get to heaven. That's their job. Like I said, we have, we have good leaders. Peter himself was instructed to feed the flock. John 21, verse number 15 through 17. So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he saith unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he answered unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. It is their job to feed us. It is their job to see that we grow in the church. That we grow in God's kingdom. That we not only strive to make this congregation better, we strive to 
better ourselves, better the church, and to take as many people as we can kicking and screaming to heaven. I heard uh, Brother Shawn quote Sitting Bull once. Inside of me there are two dogs, one mean and evil, and the other is good, and they fight each other all the time. When asked which one wins, I answer the one I feed the most. Who are you feeding? Are you feeding the worldly man? The man that was baptized for their mission to sin, that old man that you were supposed to put away, do you feed him? Or do you feed the Christian man? I won't lie to you. I feed the Christian dog inside of me. But I give snacks to the other one too, on occasion. I'm human, I make mistakes. The good thing is, I have a Lord and Savior that forgives me. Our elders are here to help us grow, to feed the good dog inside of us. That is their charge. Let's continue on in verse number 5 of chapter 5. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for, good resist, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble, yourself, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may, may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour who resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make your perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse number five, he tells us to submit. Six, to humble ourselves. And eight, to be vigilant. This whole book tells us to be watchful. Be watchful of the people that are around about us because they're watching us that we are the lot into the world. And whenever you've been in darkness for so long, the lot stands out. If it's broad enough, it will blind you. And that's the kind of lot that we need to be to the world that's around about us. You're going to stand out. It is just the nature of the beast. You will stand out. If you are being the light into the world, if you are living your life the way God would have us to live it, the way Peter tells these people to live their lives, 
you will stand out. And there will be some that ask you why. Why are you this way? And others will just hate you for it. Where is your light this evening? I want to ask you that before we close. Where is your light? Is it shining bright into the world for all to see? Or is it hid under a bushel, under a basket? Every once in a while, uh, a ray of light just happens to come out. We're going to offer you an invitation. I encourage you to let your light shine. Let it shine into the world. That the world may see your good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.